everyone, what's going on? It's Rich. Uh, this is my, I think, third recording since uh, COVID, and I feel like the guests just keep getting better, and I don't know if th- their availability is just better or they're just being more generous with their time, but these are people who are extremely busy, who are extremely talented, and I feel so completely lucky to have them on the podcast. Uh, today is Carlos Gill. Uh, I met him a long time ago at Vid Summit in, in LA, and uh, we talked a little bit about Gary Vee. I actually thought, I was like, who is this dude? I felt like he was so completely arrogant, but I, I now look back and I'm like, oh yeah, man, like this dude has arrived. He's been grinding for so long um, and he's just so damn good. Uh, Carlos is an international keynote speaker, digital storyteller uh, with over you know 10 years of experience in social media strategy for brands like LinkedIn, uh, Save a Lot, Win Dixie, just all kinds of things. He's a contributor to, H- contributor to HBR, entrepreneur. This guy is really, uh, you'll see raw. And I appreciate that about him very much. So, yeah, please enjoy this episode. Uh, he's a social media expert, and it's great uh, to know that, uh, you know, I, I'm able to just kind of commiserate and talk to people who are further along in the industry because I'm going to be there before long. And uh, now I could collaborate with him. Now I could ask him for advice, and he's here to hook you up with advice and guidance. So let's do it. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Leadership Locker. Uh, really excited. This is someone I've been trying to get in touch with. Not get in touch with, but just get this done. But all things have just gotten in the way, including him moving from the West Coast, the best coast, man, to, down to Miami and all this other stuff. But uh, can you please introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you? Well, what's going on, everyone out there? Uh, and first of all, thank you so much to, to Rich for inviting me to come on and show here, I've been seeing you, Rich, hustling like crazy for the last couple of years since I first met you. So uh, if, if my hair wasn't as messed up as it currently is, I'd, I'd take it off and, you know, <laughs> take my hat off and tip it to you. But, you know, uh, you know, once again, thank you so much for the opportunity. My name is Carlos Gill. I've worked in social media marketing for well over a decade now, uh, going back to 2008 when I lost my job in the banking industry and initially got into social media. I've had an opportunity to work for some amazing brands as a head of social, um, including LinkedIn being one of those brands that, that I had an opportunity to work for as an employee. And over the last three years, uh, I've been on the independent side uh, running my own agency in Gill Media Co., which works with big brand clients. And also, uh, I do quite a bit in the public speaking realm. Uh, so I have a book that came out a few months ago called End of Marketing, best-selling book, I might, might add. Uh, Rich has it there. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for showing the viewers. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd say the best way to describe me is someone who's passionate about social media marketing. Social media has really transformed my life. It's transformed my career. And uh, that's really from, from the place of passion that I teach from um, is to let others know whether they're a solopreneur, a business owner, a marketer within a corporation, that these mediums that we refer to as social networks are the best bridge of communication between uh, consumers and brands. Yeah. Well, this is exactly what I wanted you on. This is, that's like what I eat, live, and breathe. And I have about eight and a half less years experience, but I'm, I'm so in it. I love it. I think I understand it well, um, you know, and I'm coming in cold. So I look to people like you to kind of get my bearings and be like, all right, like, am I on the right path? So before we get into that, you are a hip hop head. You hung out with Ja Rule a lot over uh, the last few months. And 
I've always been curious because I'm a New York dude originally. Uh, I'm a New Jersey dude originally, but I listen to all New York hip hop and all this other stuff. So I told you no questions. I had no prepared questions, but this okay. is just out of curiosity. Top five artists, hip hop yeah. artists. And that's how we're going to start. Mm. First of all, great question. I love hip hop music. And um, I'm not stalling, by the way, but I just want to, yeah, like I believe a lot in story and the power of story. Yeah. So if you read my book, if you see me speak on, on stage, you'll see that like before I get to the point where I teach you something, I'm going to tell you like a little story. I think that works for me at least because it gives people all context. So when I speak on stage, my style is very much of like, you're going to church, but you're also going to a Drake concert because I teach you and give you the game. But like, there's so many public speakers out there. There's so many people rich that are preaching the gospel of social media marketing. And I think what really makes you stand out here is your delivery, it's your tone, it's your persona. And I think that's really one of the things that helps, has helped me as someone who early on in my career, I was real shy, I was real introverted, is the hip hop influence. So yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say like in no particular order, like my Mount Rushmore of, of rappers will probably start with, um, with, with Tupac. I was a big Tupac fan yeah. growing up as and again, just additional context. I grew up in South Florida, born and raised in Fort Lauderdale, went to private school Damn. growing up as a kid. So back in the 90s, like when Oasis and Green Day was really big and Tupac came out with the all eyes on me, double C. <laughs> I was like the only kid in my private school, American Heritage, yep. that was listening to Pac. Um, if you mention Pac, you can't not mention Biggie. Of course. Of course. Well, I'd say like those are like your two automatic shoe-ins. And then you got Jay-Z, which I'd say also is like automatic shooting for that Mount Rushmore. And then, you know, but like the last two, two guys I really enjoyed their music growing up and still still do, even though they're more classics, is, is DMX. Yeah. I love DMX. Um, I like his style a lot. And then, yeah, I mentioned Drake before. So I think Drake is one of those cats, again, kind of bridging hip-hop culture with like social media culture yeah. drake is like the equivalent of like that social media influencer that everyone wants to collaborate yeah with. i was just uh if you want to hit song you you make a song with drake you have drake it's, on the hook. it's completely true i was uh i was listening i used to be a drake hater by the way and then i heard uh zero to a hundred and i was like what is this i didn't i all i thought it was love songs and all this other stuff so it's funny i was just uh this morning i don't know where i went i had to go get something and i got back home and drake was on and i was listening to he's like got a shoe deal and didn't break a sweat and i'm like jesus <laughs> and i'm just like little things like that like he's got a shoe deal and i was just thinking of all the athletes and he's like yeah i didn't have to do anything i got a shoe deal but anyway very cool man i would say I'm pretty much right with you. Uh, even though I grew up with DMX and all those guys as well, Kendrick right now just like just absolutely has gone bananas in my head. So we will wrap up the hip hop conversation right there. But let's talk about all things social media. I'm going to start with this. I have a lot of clients and right now what we do is we focus specifically on LinkedIn, but everyone wants to be everywhere. And I never deter people from wanting to be everywhere. You should, in my opinion, have a pulse on all platforms. But... Carlos, if I want to be on Twitter and I'm not getting shit, this is not G-rated by the way, and I'm not getting anything on Twitter, what is the value of me being on Twitter when I'm doing just fine on Instagram? Here's the thing. I think everyone's constantly chasing the shiny new object. And, you know, I, I even see you killing it on TikTok and, you know, you, <laughs> you have very nice things to say about the platform. A lot of marketers do because they yeah. like 
the reach and the engagement that they get on there, but that's besides the point. Yeah. What I like about Twitter, and Twitter for the record has always been my favorite social network. I've been on it since early days of, of, of 2009, I joined April 2009. And what I like about Twitter is that you don't have to have a large following, you don't have, to have any following in order for people to see your content and know that you exist. You just need to make sure that the content that you post has the right keywords. Um, in them. So the other aspect I like about it is that if you use Twitter like a search engine, then you can find people that are looking for your services. Like for example, I'm looking currently for someone who's a rock star copywriter at awesome. writing, yeah, writing copy for, for e-commerce sites. So if you're a copywriter, all you have to do is go on Twitter right now and type in website copy or e-commerce copy or e-commerce website help, and that's how you can find leads. Yeah. That's, that's, to be honest with you, Rich, that's how I find a lot of resources for my own business. That's how I find resources for me personally. I just use Twitter as a search engine, and mm -hmm. boom, you can find people very quickly. Yep. Uh, so I'd say if you're overlooking Twitter because you, you wanna be on TikTok or Instagram, then you're going about this completely wrong. Don't get me wrong, like TikTok and Instagram, I think are great content marketing platforms. Yeah but they don't provide the same stickiness as, as Twitter does, quite frankly. And, yeah. you know, what are your thoughts? So, you know, if I'm someone who approaches you and I am looking finally to cultivate my brand, I have been reluctant to be on social generally, where, how should I even approach that? Hearing what you and I just kind of talked about, like it's good to have a pulse everywhere, but I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, I don't want to be on every fucking social media platform. How do I decide or how should I kind of gauge my efforts across all of them? Because it's, it's, it's important. Well, the key is you can't be on all of them because you can't be everywhere and be great. And I even, I even see this with my own brand as you know, my brand's not like huge by any means, but like as my brand has grown over the years, I find it difficult to manage all of these social networks. And when I say all, it's primarily your LinkedIn, Facebook, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, yeah. YouTube. Yep. Um, at one point, I was really active on Snapchat and that mm -hmm. kind of went away in the last couple of years. Um, I haven't jumped on TikTok and yeah. I'm focusing more on making a bigger impact on these social networks that already either a, I've already built a following on. So now it's a matter of just cultivating that following versus growing yes. or, or B these social networks are already established so I can, I can get reach from them without necessarily having to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. So I think it comes down to, first of all, like what's your, what's your objective? So if you're completely new to the space, which it's very rare that I find someone unless they're like just graduating high school, it's very yeah. rare that I find someone or meet someone nowadays that isn't on some form of social network. Um, but I think when you start getting into the conversation of like, how do you balance it all? That is something that we all struggle with. And this is kind of the way I break it down, right? LinkedIn is going to be your Rolodex. That's going to be your go-to for all things, all things business. Yeah. It's going to be, it's, it's your... From some, from my standpoint, LinkedIn's your resume, it's your business card, and it's even your website. Yep. Especially if you're a freelancer, especially your solopreneur, right? That's where you want people to go to learn about you. And here's what happens: Let's say you and I meet at a conference. Let's say we even meet on Twitter. Let's say that you pitch me your services, and I just Google Rich Cardona. 
your LinkedIn profile is probably going to be what comes up you're right. in the three search results. So if you're not on LinkedIn or if you're not really active, but you open up an account six years ago, then that's going to tell me a lot about you. So you want to yes. make sure that you're leveraging LinkedIn no different than you would leverage a portfolio or leverage a website. How many people, and, and you know, myself included, like, how many people have a website which is like theirname.com and they leverage their, their WordPress website as a portfolio? Well, that's your LinkedIn. And guess what? LinkedIn has better SEO power than your own name does. So like that's one and that's why you can't <laughs> do it now. And, and this is going to sound like counterintuitive because and if you hear my daughter screaming in the background, I all apologize. good, all good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it sounds a little counterintuitive because I used to work for LinkedIn as an employee and I teach on LinkedIn Learning's platform. So I will say this, LinkedIn is not though where you only go to network because mm -hmm. the reality is that most decision makers at companies, meaning the people that write checks, they're getting bombarded every single day in their in-mail. And that's also like, I spend a lot of time with executives and when I'm with execs, I look at their social media activity like if we're in an Uber or hanging out and they're not looking at their LinkedIn, they're looking at their Instagram because they're looking at like their other rich C-suite friends. Interesting. Right? They're doing. So when you start thinking about, okay, I'm going to build a brand and that brand's going to kind of live over here on LinkedIn and it has this purpose. Then you have to go and swing the pendulum over to Twitter and Twitter's really going to be where I recommend anyone spend the majority of their time building their personal brand. Interesting. Because on Twitter is where there's, there's conversation happening every single second of the day around virtually every industry, every topic imaginable. Okay, so like besides rap and social media marketing, I love pro wrestling. That's where I yeah. go. What's <laughs> happening in the world pro wrestling. Very much though, but like very much like in a like voyeuristic style where I'm not contributing to the conversation because I don't necessarily want everyone out there to like confuse like my brand with like pro wrestling. Totally. Right? But what I'm trying to say is that Twitter is where you go to truly network. Now, when you want to go less professional, more personal, back in the day, you go over to Facebook. Now it's Instagram. Yep. And I'm not going to ignore Facebook. I'm going to get to Facebook. But yeah. Instagram is, I think, where when you meet someone at a conference, and I've been doing this for the last two years, and this is kind of a growth hack or a tip. Yeah. When someone meets me at a conference, first of all, I don't have business cards. So when you say, you know, hey, do you have a business card? Let's stay in touch. I say, no, are you on Instagram? Yeah, let's, let's connect an IG, right? And that's how organically I've grown my Instagram with the right followers over the la these last several years because I leverage Instagram as a business card. Yeah. And the reason for that is because when you go over to my Instagram, I'm going to serve you a mix of business and personal. Yep. And the more value you give to people, the more active you are, then over time you're watering those seeds and that harvest is going to grow. I think where a lot of people really miss the mark when it comes to sales is they're trying to get an instant sale. And let's be very, very clear. If I was selling to you a copy of my book, which is less than $20, okay, I can go to you and say, hey, Rich, I see that you like my content all the time. I'd love for you to buy my book because it's an instant transaction, right? Or if I had a course that I was selling, you know, for someone to pull out a credit card and swipe, even if they see you for the first time, is not a, it's not difficult to convert that sort of customer. But when you're talking about five-figure, six-figure contracts, okay, with brands, that in itself is a much longer process. A brand's not going to just pull out a credit card 
they're going to do their due diligence. They're going to run you through procurement at their company, but it starts, it starts with likability and relatability. At the end of the day. So you work with executives, you work with big brands, and I promise you that you always get a question when it comes to your services. And I mean, obviously you'll correct me if I'm wrong. What's the ROI on this? And I think, I, I think you mentioned one of these things uh, recently on, link, um, on Instagram. And by the way, what he's saying is very, one, one big thing about Carlos, I just have to say while it's on my mind, is he's very accessible, meaning he replies to his DMs. He replies to messages. And that is part of that no like, and trust. I think it's so freaking important when I'm like, oh, cool. Like He acknowledged the fact that I took time to not only consume his content, but send him a message. And he's like, hey, what's up? blah, blah, blah. Text me if you need anything. I'm like, okay. So that's how you know someone's like the real deal. But getting back to ROI, that's the question that all people in the kind of line of business you and I are in or content marketing, social media marketing, whatever it is, how do you table expectations uh, with that? And also at the same time, make sure they're not obsessed with impressions and views. And I want to go viral because that's, it takes time. The biggest, the biggest metric that I that I turn executives onto is competitive share of voice. SOV, share of voice. Uh, and here's why. First of all, I'm gonna just say this. I'm not a fucking mind reader. So you might come to me and say, hey, we're doing a poor job in social media, but I, you, know, you, you might look amazing to me. I don't know really what that means unless I look under the hood. Mm-hmm. And I also can't, with a crystal ball, predict how much money you're going to make if you just push this, these little buttons right here. Yep. So instead, going back to sales, and this is another kind of growth hack, if you will, mm-hmm. is I, I get paid to sell. And what I mean by that is if you want to work with me, I'm going to do an initial small consulting project with you. And I'm going to look under the hood. I'm going to analyze your business kind of like, a diagnostics check, yep, right? Perfect. Service, or if you go to a doctor and now because you're paying me a look under the hood, I'm going to bring back a nice report that's going to break down all the areas of opportunity for you. And oftentimes in getting to study someone's business, I see that the greatest opportunity is competitive share of voice. And what I mean by that is you analyze your business, your brand, um, along with the other competitors in the space and you see how often they're tweeting, how often they're posting content on social media compared to you. And share voice is a very real metric. Um, now, with that being said, how do you increase share voice? Well, you have to create, you have to create more mentions of your brand. Yep. And how do you create more mentions of your brand? Very simple. A, you engage with more people. And that's why I see the downfall for most companies out there is they're only focusing on engaging with people that are at mentioning them or oftentimes saying something really spectacular about them, but then they're ignoring the non at mentions. Um, so you know, if you want to increase your voice, step number one is you have to have more conversations with people because now your brand is going to be in the forefront in more people's news feeds. Two is you activate your employees. So if you have a thousand employees that work for you and you activate 10% of them, that's a hundred more accounts on social media that are amplifying your content. So with that being said, you turn this back on a C-suite executive and say, if more people are speaking about your brand every single day, what is that? What does that mean to you? And from a sales standpoint, if you're getting more people's news feeds and more people are consuming content from your brand and more people have your brand top of mind, then if you're doing X today and it's generating X return and we're able to activate say a hundred more accounts, now it's pretty safe to say you can 100x, okay, your revenue. But again, I'm very conservative when it comes to marketing. 
Yeah. And I think that's the difference between me and a lot of other marketers. A lot of other marketers out there, the way that they sell, I've seen this happen. Wait, wait, wait a second. Why are you conservative? Like, what does that mean? And, and why? You sound so confident when you say that. And I operate in the same way. I'm big on expectation management. I mean, I have a client right now who's like, I have this four video series I want to do on YouTube and they want it to go ballistic. I'm like, do you understand how long it takes to really get traction on YouTube? So when you say that, what do you mean? I'm, I'm you know, really cautious like that. Realistic. And what I also mean by conservative is focus on doing one thing really, really, really well instead of trying to do so many things at once that are unrealistic. Because most corporations have these grandiose expectations. Yes. Right? And when I throw it back at them and, 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 and ask them, are you in a position right now that you can increase your headcount? Can you hire my agency and bring on five additional community managers? No, we can't, we don't have that budget, okay? Can you do that internally? No, we don't have the budget. Okay, so you have to work with what you have. Mm -hmm. and the low-hanging fruit for you is A, acknowledge every single customer that's mentioning your brand. B, acknowledge every single person in your database. If you're doing email marketing, are you targeting that email list or that CRM list with Facebook ads to stay yeah. in front of your customers on social media even if they don't follow you? Yeah. Are you tapping into that CRM database to see even within your CRM who's influential on social media? And I'll give you an example. I only fly with American Airlines and stay at Marriott hotels. Okay. And if Marriott and American had marketers that were worth their salt, what they would be doing is they would take their CRM, whether it's you know, Salesforce or whomever, mm -hmm. and they would, they, would, they would literally be able to work with Twitter and work with Facebook. Because I've done this at brands I've worked for before as an employee and also <laughs> clients. And you take your CRM, you upload it into Twitter and Facebook, and now you can identify, especially on a platform like Twitter, which is open-ended, who is influential within that list. No kidding. And now you build relationships with these individuals. Yep. So if you're American, instead of you waiting for me to reach out to you, you're proactive and you're playing offense and you're seeing when your top customers, and I'm, I'm you know, executive platinum with them, I fly with them all the time. Yeah, oh yeah, I see the stories. What you're doing then is you're keeping tabs on your, on your top customers who are also influential online. So when I say flying out to Philadelphia today, you're actually tweeting back and saying, hey, go crush it on that keynote. Hey, good luck. And now I'm like, holy shit. Yes. I'm actually paying attention to what I'm doing. Yes. See, these things, Rich, are so fucking basic. Yeah. Basic. I got but it. It's not and again, if you put value around competitive share of voice, okay, and you consistently just engage your community and your employees, man, you will just kill it. And, you know, I think that's, that's the, the biggest opportunity that brands are missing out on. If you really read my book closely, well, you know, if you listen to the audiobook or if you see <laughs> me speak on stage and you pay attention closely to what I'm telling people, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, forget having to create all this content. Because at the end of the day, what content is, is just digital noise, hmm. okay? And people are ignoring it because most of the time your brand content comes across like an ad. Yes. It is an ad. Yes. But if you get back to the basics of just listening to what's being said about you, your competition, and your industry, and actually come to the table and engage, which is so basic to do but not being done, you would actually start seeing the ROI of social media. You talk about basic 
things being engaging and that's something people don't do enough of. What are people doing too much of that is a complete waste of time? Um, yeah, I think some of the things that are a big waste of time is posting content for the sake of posting content, but you're always paying attention. <laughs> yes. Right. I, I would rather spend, if I'm going to spend an hour a day in the zone on social media, if I have an hour to give, which, you know, if you want to grow in this space, you have to devote more than an hour. We all know that. But let's just say you have an hour a day. I would say to you, spend an hour broken up on 30 minutes on Twitter, 30 minutes on Instagram, and go find people who are posting content relative to what you do for a living. And go engage with their content. And I'll give you like, you know, you know I don't know if this is, this is necessarily a, a Jedi trick or whatnot, but I see people doing this all the time, especially those that are trying to grow their presence. They'll go on Instagram to like a really big account. So let's say they'll, they'll go to like Grant Cardone's account and they'll pick a post of Grant's and they'll find a caption that resonates with them. And then they will layer on top of that caption and they will kind of create their own like mini dialogue. Now that's that, that in itself, if you're adding value to someone's post, that's not necessarily hijacking their post. Okay. I've seen people that just straight hijack someone's post and make it all about them. And that's yes. not something I advocate for. for sure. But again, when we talk about how do you grow in an already noisy space, you can either post content that not a lot of people are going to see, or you can just go where the attention already is. You can already go where the community is and you can just start developing your voice within that community. And again, like, you know, we're both supporters of, of, of our boy, Gary V. Yeah. I see people in the Gary V community doing that all the time. I'm on, oh my a God, it's crazy. I'm on a Twitter thread with like 50 other people that are all supporters of Gary's and like, we all support each other now. Right. Yeah. And it all started, but just taking Gary's content, commenting on it, and little by little, there's a tribe that's formed. Awesome. So again, I think these are these are ways that you can still get value from social media when you're new and just starting out. Uh, but again, going back to mistakes that people make, I think it's posting content for the sake of posting content. Whoever whoever said that content is king was completely full of shit <laughs> because community is king. Yeah. Without community, you've got nothing. And mm -hmm. the great thing about community is that you don't necessarily need to focus on building your own. You can just tap into communities that already exist and in the process, reap the benefits of getting folks to follow you and like you and, and trust you and want to do business with you. So when you're talking about some of these big names and, and some of these numbers, and we know they have just massive accounts and I say to myself as someone who's new to the social media space, or I'm going to invest in Carlos or Rich or someone, and, and I'm going to help them cultivate my brand. And I'm doing what's me. I'm providing value. I'm sprinkling in the personal, like you're saying, and I ain't, I'm not getting shit. Like, do I really need to kind of adjust to the right or left and be like, okay, let me look at what Grant's doing or what Gary's doing. And maybe I should model off. off um, no, no, not at all. I think it's, it's great to be a consumer. Um, but there also comes to a point where you need to stop consuming and you need to just start creating. Yes. I will be completely transparent. I'm getting goosebumps as I even say this. Like there are times, man, where I think that I just dropped the most amazing video and it gets no shares and it gets very little engagement. It's very demoralizing. Hit to the ego. It really is. But you just mentioned names of individuals that have been in the space longer than me, longer than you, longer than most of us. Also, individuals are spending a lot of money behind the scenes, whether yes. it's content production, whether it's amplifying their content through ads. 
So I would say that while it's great to admire other people's content, it's more so important for you to develop your own voice and tone. Because at the end of the day, there's going to be people that want to follow Rich Cardona because there's something about you. Like I'm looking right there, like, you know, your former military, right? That in itself is an in that you have over me and a lot of other marketers out there. You know what I'm saying? So finding those little key traits or triggers, like I'll give you an example. Right now I'm working very closely during the quarantine with my brother-in-law yep. because we're all staying together. And my brother-in-law, he sells cars for a living, but mm -hmm. he's also a former baseball player in the Minnesota Twins organization. Nice. So he's gotten away from pro sports and to sell cars. So now I've been helping him for the last six weeks with like really tapping into like, dude, like, Let's build a brand for you. And, and, and who is it that you're trying to reach? And is there like athletes, families, and people of faith? So it's like, great. You know that those are three key audiences you're trying to reach. Yeah. Now you have to create the content and the, and the personal brand around yourself that's going to resonate. And we were talking about these things last night, like different brand names. I call them gimmicks and personas for him. And I told him, like, and this is like 2 a.m. I'm like, his name's Reggie. I'm like, Reggie. Not you're not gonna appeal to everyone out there. Like I had to let go of that notion a long time ago. That it's everyone so hard, <laughs> so hard, man. And you just have to focus on a very specific niche and go after that niche, man. And I think again, I get this now, but I want to say this very transparently. I've been doing this now 13 years, and I really started to understand about two to three years ago what my purpose in the space was. <laughs> And I really started to understand the type of content that works for me versus what doesn't. And that's the crazy thing, man, because I was one of those people. I was trying to do so many things and appeal to so many different audiences. And one day I just realized, like, if I do this, it gets me no results. If I do the whole family vlog thing, no one gives a shit. No one wants to see what I'm doing with my family, which I know sounds really bad. Yeah. Right? So if I do this and I teach people how to be better at marketing, all of a sudden people want to know that. And maybe there's something in the way I present that they like that resonates with them. Maybe it's just the fact that like I make things very clear and how I explain how to do things. So then I just decided I'm going to just go down this path and do more of what works and do less of what doesn't work. What? This is perfect. What if what works isn't what you like to make? You know, it's funny because after writing a book on what I like to consider the modern day Bible of social media marketing, I started to like social media marketing less. <laughs> So, you know, I'm right there with you when I start to think about what's next for me. Do I write another marketing book? Do I go in another direction and write something that's a little bit more impactful from a, you know, from a legacy standpoint? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's kind of like, you know, if you want to know, like, well, what are you currently working on? That's, that's one of those things that the last six weeks of being contained inside of a home has really made me start to think about from a priority standpoint. What's, what's really important here, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe down the road, you'll start seeing a different variation of me and my brand maybe it will be less about marketing maybe it'll be less about business maybe it'll be more about family more about relationships so i think having you know having conversations within yourself is so important man yeah and comparing yourself to others is the worst thing you can possibly do and look i don't want to i don't want to say that i've never done that because absolutely i have yeah. but the sooner that you can feel comfortable in your own skin is the sooner others will start to gravitate to you. I think that's really, really tough when you focus on being a content creator and like 
look, man, I'm on Instagram and sometimes I'll post something and it's dead and I see someone post the biggest bullshit and I'm like, they got what? Like how many comments? Like this is ridiculous. And I'm working my way away from that, knowing that the people who do reply to mine or engage with mine are the people I need to just kind of nurture and cherish and all that good stuff. But uh, let me switch to one thing. Uh, everyone always talks about providing value, providing value. You provide just like tons and tons and tons of value. I've gone, I've, I watch you on Instagram. I'll see you on LinkedIn. Obviously I see you on Twitter. I've gone to your YouTube videos to be like, okay, how to get paid as a public speaker. And you really is one of the most exceptional ways it was laid out, especially in terms of expectations. Like, dude, fucking swallow your pride for a second. Like it's not going to just happen like that. You're not going to get a 5k gig tomorrow. And it's all really good. However, a lot of people are so reluctant to just provide so much value because then they're right. like, oh, well, then there's nothing left. Then what are they going to hire me for? How much can I possibly give? What is your take on that? Dude, at the end of the day, man, it goes back to the conversation we were having before about sales, right? Like, why not just give you everything I know? At the end of the day, there's still going to be things that I know that I'm not in that video, in that instance saying to you right because yeah. most of the videos i create is like five things well the reality is there's probably 12 ways to get paid as a public speaker i'm just giving you the five i'm giving yeah. you the easiest five that i would tell you as a friend if you call me tomorrow you're like hey man how do i get more speaking engagements i'd make it really simple so like that's the key when when clients hire me to do a workshop so for example you've got two options you can either bring me in, i'll do a four hour half day workshop or i'll do a full day eight hour workshop in that time we're going through a lot of content but quite frankly rich the majority of the value that I feel clients get from that experience is the questions. It's the Q&A. Yes, and you don't have that. Like, I, I'm going to just go off and say this. This is one of, the, one of the better interviews that I have done in recent memory with you right here. Nice. Because it wasn't scripted. It wasn't Hell scripted. No. I knew nothing what you were going to ask me in advance. And quite frankly, we're just having a conversation as two industry colleagues, mm -hmm. right? And I love that because it's, yeah. it's, I feel like it's bringing out the best of me as opposed to like, if I already would have known what you were going to ask, that just kind of feels like we're going down like a laundry list of, of questions. Course. Right? Exactly. So checking, the checking the box. Like, All right, cool. See ya. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that the same principles apply when I work with clients in person. It's the Q and A. I went and did a workshop um, for a casino in Connecticut, um, Mohegan Sun a couple of years ago. It was one of the the best workshops I've done because it was to help sales professionals and it was only supposed to be a half day workshop. I ended up being there all day because the questions were just so much, man. And like, that's where I think a lot of people get value because when you ask me a particular question, like for example, in, you know, social selling workshop, and now you want to ask me a question about your LinkedIn profile specifically, I'm going to pull it up on the screen. I'm going to start kind of breaking it apart. And then other people in the room, their head starts spinning and then they yeah, start thinking, yeah. And you don't get that in a YouTube video. You don't get that in an Instagram video. In a YouTube or Instagram video, the whole purpose is it's a little breadcrumb, right? It's to, it's to get your palate wet. It's to teach you a little something. And then if you want to work together, then you approach me. Now, the reality is that I'm not off selling courses to help you become a better public speaker. And I think that's where, you know, there's still that, that, that side to my brand, if you will, that if you approach me, I'm going to just give you the, I'm going to just give you the game. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to just tell you, you know, here's how you can become a better marketer. Here's how you can become a better speaker. And all I ask for in return is that if this is helpful, just go implement it. Were you always that way though? Like, so hold on. Like, like, was there a point you were ever guarded? Like, oh man, like I'm onto something right now. Like I'm really getting this, you know? And you're like, I'm going to protect some of this shit. And then like, no, not really. 
just because I've seen so many people in this space that come off as like the guru of gurus. And it turns me off, man. Like, I just gotta be honest with you. It, 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 it turns me off. I think it's cheesy as fuck. You know, when you work at a big corporation, like the companies I've worked for, no one really knows who any of these people are, dude. Like, yes. just, you know, sorry if this offends anyone or hurts anyone's ego, but like, you know, at big brands, no one really knows the people that are running all these Facebook ads, selling these ninja courses, right? 90% off and these masterminds. So I think that's a part of like internet marketing culture that exists yeah. that works for a lot of people out there. Um, but I've never, I've never been that person and I don't want to be known as that person. I want to be known as the guy that's the good guy, right? I'm on your side. Yeah. You know, the I earnings, the money that I make, I know how I earn my living. And you know, it's, it's not from selling books. It's not from selling courses. It's from getting paid by conference organizers, a and B is enterprise brands. So if one day I change that business model, you know, then I change it. Yep. But you know, I think at this point I'm comfortable with, with where I'm at in the space and you know, I want as many people as possible to follow me, not because I have some little carrot that I dangle in front of them, but because really they're going to get value from the relationship that we built. And that's why we're talking right now. So last question, I made a commitment. So you and I met at VidSummit a couple years ago, and then uh, I went back a year later and I'm going to just be honest. I've never said this. I, I hated it. Uh, I was just like, get me out of here. Like I got shit to do. Like it was so much information. And I realized that that weekend I'm not going to execute on any of this stuff. Like there's too much. Like literally if I'm on a trajectory like this, I actually went backwards because I just like became completely oversaturated. So I said to myself, I'm going to make a commitment. And it wasn't about the conference itself. I, I think you understand what I'm saying here, but I said to myself, I'm not going to a single conference for a fucking year. And I was like, and that's it. I'm just going to execute and dude, things are going so well right now. And I'm glad I made that choice. Um, however, you know, when it comes to that and someone who is kind of new to the game, so to speak, and they have a lot to learn, uh, you know, what, what is your take on the value? I could easily go to social media marketing world and be like, damn, Carlos just took off because your Instagram stories, the ones that you are tagged and not you tagging people, people tagging you like he just blew it up on stage. Like that might be worthwhile, but maybe 80% of it is shit. So where do you balance the learning and the doing? So first of all, I remember when you, when, cause I had reached out to you to ask you how, how, how bid summit went. So, so I remember we had a little bit of dialogue and I think that was like a pivotal moment for you because you discovered like, yo, I just gotta go out and do like, it's great. You go see some homies at these conferences, you have a good time, but at the end of the day it's expensive and I'm with you, man. Like, you know, I'm very blessed from the standpoint that I attend as a speaker between probably 40 to 50 conferences a year. Yeah. And I haven't had to pay to go to a conference in years. Yeah. But I can only imagine if I had to, man, you're looking at probably like an expense of five grand when you factor in the conference ticket, flight, hotel, meals, yep. you know, and that's not bringing a videographer with you or a team member with you. So I would, I'm as a businessman, you know, I'm very frugal with how I spend money and I would rather invest that 5,000 into equipment, into staff, into other things. So I think you made it, you made a wise decision. Um, conferences are in an interesting space because first of all, a lot of the content that's delivered at conferences isn't, isn't new, right? You, no can, find shit. you can find a lot of it by, by Googling, by going on YouTube. 
Um, I think conference organizers themselves face a challenge with the retention. And, you know, a lot of the conferences I speak at multiple times that I've spoken out several times, I don't really see the same people. I see like a new breed of people every year, which for me as a speaker is cool because I get to constantly meet new people. But for me, it's also a realization. Like I think a lot of people go to a conference one time, they get what they get out of it, and then they leave. And oftentimes, I think people go to conferences because it reaffirms what they already know. Yes. And then the networking is on point. People go because of the networking. So I think that is a challenge for conference organizers. Now, me as a speaker, my objective is to make sure that when you walk away that day, you leave me the highest review of any other speaker. That I'm an extremely competitive person. Yeah. I also know my shit inside and out. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to make sure, again, it goes back to like hip hop, right? I want to make sure that when you leave that day, you're like, this is the best guy I saw. And if the conference organizer put this guy at the very end of the day in like the smallest room, you got to put him next year as your keynote. You know what I'm saying? That's like the competitive nature of me. But the day, it's about the people, man. And that's what I strive on 110%. I know that you're paying to attend a conference that as a paying customer, my responsibility to you is to make sure that you left there with something that you can take back to your office. I'm not, I don't care about what the fuck you heard from anyone else. Okay. Because you know, I hear from a lot of people you know, oftentimes they'll come to me and be like, you know, you're the best speaker here. Oh, you know, I sat in all these sessions. I haven't learned anything. Well, great. That, that gives me a sense of pride. Like I did something good and I got to keep moving forward. Yeah. I love it, man. Uh, okay. So dude, I think, I think that is it, man. This is exactly what I was hoping for uh, straight. No chaser. This is exactly what people need to hear. Uh, so you said you're everywhere. Uh, here's your book. I didn't have the, the, gallery view on before but here's the book end of marketing uh you could definitely pick it up where should people go to follow you and all the bomb ass content you got out there uh you can go to at carlos skill 83 on twitter and on instagram and if you want to get a copy of the end of marketing just go to end of marketing awesome well thank you so much for uh being on the leadership locker i'm sure people are going to have a lot of good takeaways leave a review if you enjoyed this episode and i will share it with carlos so he knows as well and that's it. Take care.